Hello and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend and Chavruta Yordana Osband. Our daf of the day, Masechet Psachim, Daf Kuf Kaf Aleph. We have reached our final daf of Masechet Psachim. I here we are. Like I don't, I I I find it astounding every time we do. You know, when we embarked on this, I didn't know if we were going to finish Brachot. So thank you all for joining us in our endeavor. And it's a short daf. Let's see what we can do with it. Um, I actually am going to begin, after all that, on the very end of the previous stuff, where the Gemara, you're Daniel, you spoke about this yesterday, but the, the Gemara talks about when you've left over, when the Korban is left over, and that's the issue of notar, right, that it's left over and it's, it's, then it's prohibited, and also there's a question of pigul, that if the, if the, ko, the Kohen had the incorrect intent in bringing the Korban, then that is all, I mean, it's a go-no, how, how do you figure that out? But this issue of Pigel and the issue of Notar, which we have discussed in the past, I think even several times, it comes up again on this daf. I actually find it kind of surprising that this is, you know, just about the way they're going to close the Masachet. We've got one more Mishnah coming up. And again, that's quite short. But the issue here is that you have Kohanim who are working in the Beit HaMikdash because that is their job, right? That is what the Kohanim's role is. And yet not every Kohen was as good as every other Kohen. And there were some Kohanim who were kind of suspected, and the Gemara calls them Mishum Kohuna, that these are the, the Kohanim who were suspected. What were they suspected of? They're suspected of intentionally, you know, not not by accident, but knowing that they were being they were giving the wrong intent or they were presenting the Korbanot with the with invalid by by rendering them invalid to begin with and knowingly knowingly do so doing so there's another problem which was mishum kuhuna that there were those who were lazy and that perhaps this is at least there's something that's less troubling to me about somebody being lazy than somebody who's being malicious and and in, you know intentionally invalidating korbanot but the fact is if you are the kohen and you are on and you are being lazy then that is going to render that is that is another case fundamentally of knowingly going to render the people's korbanot invalid. So the Gemara in the ends of the previous stuff and comes on to this stuff talking about this pigle and this notar, and the Gemara says specifically that when we're talking about pigle, mishum chashdekuna mandatani anotar mishum atzlekuna. We're talking about when they're talking. I'm sorry, mandatani apigol. When they're talking about pigle, they're talking about these are the people who would intentionally have the wrong intent. And that when they're talking about notar, meaning it got left over, that's when they're talking about the lazy priests because, you know, they just didn't deal with it properly, right? So the bottom line is not all Kohanim are as good as all other Kohanim, as I said. And and what we have here is, well, I don't know. I don't know how we characterize this. I don't know if this is simply a matter of some people were human, you know, we're human and we have to respect that. Or if this was, you know, the era and it kind of feels that way, that there was a time when there was a concern about the Kohanim. And it seems to me that that's where we're at. Yeah. And I think we know that there are other Gemaras that make reference to this, that there was sort of a period where maybe the Kohanim didn't always behave the way that they expected to. Um, I'm going to jump now to the last Mishnah. Uh, and uh, we end with a, you know, the Mishnah that we end with is interesting. The Gemara is even more interesting on it. So they're basically, remember on uh, the night of Leil HaSeder, the night of, of uh, Pesach on Tetvav, you ate two type of korbanos. You ate the korban Pesach and you also had a korban Chagiga. 
So if they make a, if you make a bracha on the korban pesach, right? You would basically say asher kizishanam tzatzibano lahachil korban pesach, something like that. You don't have to make a bracha on the chagiga korban. Berach et shel zevach lo patarad shel pesach. Dibrei Rabbi Yishmael. But let's say you make a bracha on the chagiga, right? Um, and um, you know, but you didn't make it on the, uh, the. Well, sorry, you made it on the chagiga first. You still would have to make an additional one on the korban pesach. This is what Rabbi Yishmael says. Rabbi Akiva Omer Rabbi Akiva says no. Neither bracha is going to exempt the other one. You need one bracha for the korban pesach. You need one bracha for the Korban Chagiga. Um, and then the Gemara here wants to say that this is basically a parallel machlokas uh, in another place that we see between Rabbi Shmuel and Rabbi Akiva. And again, it's the idea of you have two similar actions or two similar something. And the question is, is it similar enough to say something subsumes the other? Or do we say they're two totally different things? So, right, you could say, right, so Rabbi Yishmael believes that when we talk about sprinkling and pouring blood on the Mizbech, sprinkling is included. It's part of pouring. Remember, we had seen this talked about uh, previously, right? What happens if you did the wrong act with the blood on the Mizbech, right? So in other words, it's the same idea, the same way that sprinkling can be like pouring, right? The bracha over the Korban Pesach, Right. It also includes the uh, well, sorry, let me say it differently. The, the when blood is poured, it can also in- include the blood. The, the Korban Pesach blood is poured, but that can include the blood of the uh, Korban Chagiga, which is actually sprinkled. OK, because it's sort of like it's all in the general sprinkling is sort of part of pouring. Right. But pouring is not sprinkling. Right. And so when you make the wrong, when you make the, um, uh, and so part of what this has to do is also, I believe, my understanding is, is when did you make the bracha um, on the actual korban itself, right? So the korban, it was not necessarily said when you were eating it, but it was actually done when you were doing the pouring and the sprinkling piece. So I I misspoke a little, I made it a little confusing when I read the Mishnah itself. Um, So the idea is, is that if you made the bracha for the korban Pesach, while they were pouring the blood on the Mizbeach, that should be good enough to include the sprinkling, and therefore you don't need to make the bracha on the Korban Chagiga. Right? Rabbi Akiva does not think that pour, that pouring is not included in, in, in sprinkling. And also sprinkling is not included in pouring, and therefore they both really require their own blessing. So it's interesting to see that when you first read the Mishnah, right, you know, it looks like it's the bracha that you make, I think, when you eat. But really, the Gemara comes to explain that, no, it really has to do with that bracha is actually being said with pouring. And what that real machlokas has to do with is the types of different ways that we put blood on the Mizbeach itself, whether it's pouring, whether it's sprinkling, can sprinkling be part of pouring? Are they two totally separate ways of putting blood on the Mizbeach itself, and that will actually impact whether or not a bracha for one, if you hold like Rabbi Shmuel, can include both, or like Rabbi Akiva, who's going to hold, no, they're really two totally separate actions, and that's why they really need two totally separate 
uh, and that really makes much more sense. And I think this gets to, to me at least, an interesting tension over Korbanot. You know, the w- one of the themes that we've seen a lot in all of Sachim is that the Korban Pesach is really meant to be eaten, right? Like that's really what the Korban Pesach is there for. But here we kind of end with going back to that, you know, really it's not so much about the eating, but it's about the process of bringing the korban itself, right? The shechita, how, if the blood is poured, if the blood is sprinkled, and that's really what you're making uh, the bracha on. So I was surprised by this because it would have made more sense to me that the bracha is going to be made when you're eating because that was like the emphasis the whole time. But from this passage in the Gemara, that seems to not be the case. It's really the blood piece, which is important. But again, but then what happens if you didn't eat the Korban Pesach afterwards? They sort of just ended here. It's just done. Maybe I'm making this out to be more than it actually is. But it seemed a little bit counter to everything else that we've learned about the Korban Pesach in this Masachat. So my question was, and I think it's kind of in tandem with yours, is, you know, we've just been talking this the bulk of this parak, the entirety, really, of this parak is about Lel HaSeder. It's about the, the observance of Pesach in our generations after the temple. So the fact that the Gemara comes back, so I've been puzzling this over, right? Why the Gemara comes back to talk about Karbanot at the very end? Like, what do you mean? You know, aren't you off top off topic? Shouldn't you be, shouldn't this section be earlier in the Masachet, in the, in the Karbanot section? And I saw something, you know, we talked about this a little bit in preparation, and even since then I've been mulling it over while you've been talking now. I think that perhaps, and maybe this will answer you, perhaps the Gemara comes back to talk about Karbanot, because that is the main idea of the redemption, right, that is supposed to happen, right? That the whole thing of Leil HaSeder is about this this night of Geula, this night of redemption, and while we are having our Siddharam as we do nowadays, we are not fully yet redeemed because we need to get back to a, a temple a temple service, right? That that's the ideal for, for the Jewish people. So I was thinking that maybe there's this very kind of subtle, quiet acknowledgement that we need to get back to the Karban Pesach to be able to have the, the four cups that we've been talking about, Mazgulo Kosherishol, Mazgulo Kosheni, that we're talking about these four cups, which are, again, they're discussed in the Lashon and the formulation of Geula, of redemption, and that to really, you know, I don't know, implement that, we we need to come back to a Korban Pesach. And then the Korban Pesach, as much as it's about being eaten, of course, the phenomenon of Korbanot is about, you know, the essence of the blood, the sprinkling, the pouring, all of this is really the way Korbanot work. And so I was thinking that, Maybe that answers you that that we're trying to get that this it's just kind of like a hint to this ideal of returning to the Korban Pesach in the way that it was supposed to have been done. All Karbanot have this, you know, blood. I mean, all animal Karbanot have this blood aspect. Oh, I don't know if that's a true statement. Let me be careful here. The Korban Pesach has a very essential element of the the blood aspect. So. You don't have you have a meal without the carbon pesach, right? But you and, don't. Have but what's a also interesting, I think you're totally onto something here, and I agree with you. I think they wanted to end with the korban, but it's even chronologically out of order. This sprinkling and pouring takes place on the 14th. It's not even on the night of the seder itself, which is the 15th. So it's 
it's really out of order here, but I agree with you. I think it really wants to emphasize like the point of all this and the real hope is that we get back to the Korban Pesach um, and that even whatever type of Seder we have, we're not really celebrating the holiday as best as we could be celebrating it. So I think that this continues into the, not so much about the holiday, but the, the rest of this Gemara, this tiny little bit of the Gemara, I think does the same kind of thing about, you know, let's focus on what this holiday is really all about. Let's remember what really happened in Egypt and, and how we do things differently nowadays because of that. What we're talking about here, and it's not even about the Korban, it's about Pidyon Haben, the redemption of the firstborn son. Rav Simlai, Ikla Lepidyon Haben. So what happened? Rav Simlai was at a Pidyon Haben. Baal Minei. They wanted to know, you know, what's the blessing that you should make? It seems, right, it should be obvious that the blessing is going to be, you know, you've, uh, again, what I've just said, that God has commanded us um, in the Pidyon Haben. The father of the Pidyon, of the baby who is being redeemed, blesses Shechiyano. Gohen Mivarech. Meaning, this is exactly the question. I'm sorry. The first bracha is, of course, recited by the father, right? The father is saying, because it's his son. So he's the one who's making the blessing over the redemption. And also, he's the one doing the redeeming. The way you redeem, I don't know how many people are familiar with the Pidyon Haben ceremony. I'm actually not that familiar with it. Um, I come from Kohanim, so there have not been, my generation did not see very Haben. I think two or three. They're not as common as people think they are. I'll tell you better. I've been to two or three, and one that I went to turned out not to be one because they realized at the last minute that the father was a Ben Levy. And that was that. I hope you like, still got. I hope or, you still or Ben, got maybe nice the meal. son of a daughter of a lady, <laughs> something like that, right? So that what happened? <laughs> so, but that's exactly it. I right. So I have a firstborn son, but I had a C-section, so there's no pidyon haben. Meaning, I had I had delusions of having of being able to do this mitzvah. It's not common. I agree with you. It's not because again, you all you need, all you need, you have if the firstborn is a daughter, no pidyon haben. I'm sorry to the people who want to have equivalent ceremonies for all boys and girls. It doesn't, you know, you could do it, but it's not the mitzvah here. Um, and anytime you have a C-section, which happens, right? So no pidyon haben. Any son of a kohen or the daughter of a kohen or a levi or the daughter of a levi. And now you still have a good population that, yeah, that could I, require I a pidyon haben, but all right, it's not as common as you might think. Um. Okay, let's finish it up. So, so what happens is, so this question is, you know, does the my point was that the Kohen is not the he is the one who who through whom the father redeems his son. So the Kohen can't make the blessing of doing the redemption because he's like the agent there, right? But should he be the one to say Shachianu, or should the father say Shachianu? And this is exactly the question. So the Gemara explains. It says Kohen Mivarech. We're going to get both both rationales. Kohen Mivarech. Because he benefits, right? He gets these five coins. It's going to be to his benefit. Or does the father make the blessing? Because he's the one who's actually doing the mitzvah. Meaning 
it's a different kind of benefit, I guess, if you talk about about uh, fulfillment of a mitzvah. Lo hava bidei atashail be midrasha. So they didn't have Rav Simlai, right? He's the guy we talked about at the beginning. He didn't have an answer. He didn't. He wasn't sure. So he went to the Beit Midrash and he asked, "Amrule Aviha ben Aviha ben And at the end of the day, the Gemara concludes, and again, it's a kind of a strange concluding conclusion to a Masachet. The father makes the bracha, both the bracha on the pidyon had ben, the redemption of the firstborn, and secondly, the Shachianu mitzvah uh, bracha. And I think, again, that this harkens back to the fact that these firstborns, right? Really, we, we redeem the firstborn because we redeem the first of everything, right? We give Bikurim, we give Trumara Masra, these, all of these, um, we have, we have um, no, I'm forgetting what it's called, but we also give the firstborn of animals. So that's really the, the essence of the, the firstborn son. But when you're talking about Egypt, you can't get away from Makapachorot. You just can't you know, the, the parallel between Maka Bechorot and Pidyon Aben, even if it's not exactly halachically the, the connection, um, maybe there are opinions that say it is, I don't know, but but the the parallel in our imagination is just so strong. I think that that's part of what's happening here, that there's a recognition as we close the Masachet that Chazal were creative, you know, and they, they bring it as the end. Firstborn sons are redeemed our families, right? They are, they are, we're not at risk of makapachorot, thank God. And then the bracha on it, all the more so, the final thing that is discussed here is shachianu, that we have reached this time, which I feel like, you know, for all that we don't have a Beit HaMikdash, we come every year to Pesach and, and there is rejoicing in that. There is. And I, you know, I guess what we'll end with is, you know, just a wish that all of us at one point will have the opportunity to celebrate together in Yerushalayim. Um, and certainly if we do have that opportunity, I think many of us will think back to what we've learned over these last three months. Um, and I certainly have a much better picture of what Lael say there and even Arab Pesach were like in the times of the Beit HaMikdash. And uh, I hope we are Zohad to see that soon. So, We've, you know, we've already completed our formal siyum, but here at the end of the parak, as is our wont, we say, Hadran alach arve psachim. That's concluding this parak. Vasilk alach masachet psachim. And we are concluding Well, masachet that's psachim. our daft discussion for the day. Break us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadran website. Let us know what you thought about your study of masachet psachim and come join us tomorrow as we begin masachet shkalim. Remember that the daft waits for nobody. And until tomorrow, go and learn. Thank <music> you.